0: Welcome to the BPH series of podcasts. Hello everyone, and welcome to this series of podcasts on benign prostatic hyperplasia for urology specialists. It's my pleasure today to talk about managing BPH patient concerns. I'm Max Johnston, a consultant urologist with a subspecialty interest in BPH. And I'm honored to be joined by Nadine Cool, who sat next to me. Nadine is a consultant urologist and deputy CMO in Kingston. Uh, Southwest London and she's also the new president of the urology section of the RSM as well as an expert in BPH. So just a quick start of how do your patients tend to react when they hear that they've got BPH in your, in your clinic?
1: Thanks Max. So I think when it comes to patients reacting to their diagnosis honestly most of them are relieved because I don't know about your practice but what I find is that a lot of patients now coming through the, the department are just terrified that they've got cancer. So actually finding out that they don't have cancer and they have, you know, what might be considered to be uh, a normal part of male ageing is a huge relief to them that, uh, you know, that, that it's not a malignant process. And and having had that diagnosis, they're then much more open to, you know, well, what could be done about it? We have um, we have developed in South West London, along with our GP partners, some uh, pathways for management of male lower urinary tract symptoms. Yeah. The theory of that being that by the time the patient comes into secondary care, they are—they've tried and failed medical therapy, um, or and or they're willing to accept a surgical procedure. Now, that's very much theoretical, and sadly, it doesn't doesn't always happen in practice. But that's the theory behind it. But you know, the big reaction is is relief,
0: and also presumably you practice is similar to mine in that they're actually seeing someone, which is met positively as well because there's quite a long wait.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of our patients do come through the prostate cancer referral pathway, um, so they've generally had some contact with healthcare professionals prior to seeing me. Um, but yes, it's it's an enormous relief to them to to find out that they can see someone face to face. We, as I'm sure you do, we try and do flow rates and and all the basic investigations on the day yeah. to uh, to minimise the patient's um, difficulties in getting to and from the hospital. As you may have discovered yourself, parking's is not the easiest. And um, so it, it's it's definitely something that's geared towards the patients. We try and see our patients face to face in the first instance, just so that we can build that relationship with them.
0: I suppose, bringing up another point you, you just talked about, the, the readiness of, of the patients. Do they already know about BPH? Do they know about the therapies that they might be receiving before they see you? Or is it a real mix?
1: It is a mix. Um, it is a mix. The, the population around here tend tend to be quite... Um, proactive in seeking information so I would say most of the patients that come through have some idea of the treatments that are available and um, either because they've done their own research or because they've spoken to friends and so a lot of them have experience either lived or you know via close friends or relatives who've got BPH and so they do have some idea and of course you know we have the the, the daily mail of course that uh, provides them with a lot of information. Is that
0: a situation that fills you with Pleasure or dread when someone brings her a page of the newspaper to your clinic? Uh,
1: do you know what? I, I'm quite positive about it, actually, because whatever the information is that they've read. Now, you and I both know that those articles are not always accurate, but actually they give the patient the flavour of what's going to happen. And so from my perspective, I don't have a problem with it at all. I tend to say to them, OK, well, you know, you've obviously read about it and, you know, you've come to me with some knowledge. I'm, as I'm sure you, aware, you are aware, there will be some inaccuracies in what you've read or what you've looked at online. And I'd have to say that almost every patient I have that conversation with says, absolutely understand, doctor, completely. I, I want to hear your side of it. I just, you know, but, but I have read this. So I think it's quite a good thing, actually.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I, I love it because it also means that at least they're engaged about their condition and their, and their treatments if they're proactively looking before mm-hmm. they come. So I, I view it as a, a real plus and um, where do you think most patients get their information from with that in mind it's not always the the daily mail
1: no um i think a lot of them look online you know the nhs does have some quite useful resources around certain health conditions and i think that it tends to be more um self-help uh groups charity websites you know that that sort of place but as i said also friends
0: yeah they're a good source of information sometimes.
1: they often are sometimes. they often are <laughs>
0: How do you talk someone round if they've got their heart set on an option that, for example, they can't have due to the size of their prostate or, or medications they may be on or, or something like that?
1: In my practice, in my experience, I think most patients, if they've got their heart set on something that they that they cannot have for a very good reason, um, that when you once you've explained that to them they they will accept that i mean they'll be disappointed of course they will be because they've got their heart set on it for lots of different reasons but you know as long as you're as long as you've you've built that relationship of trust with the patients and and you're able to explain to them why they can't have it then I've not, again, I've not, not had problems, really. I think if you try and dismiss patients' concerns, if they feel that that you're just trying to impose what you want on them, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah. If you just take that extra few minutes to just explain why or why not, then, um, you know, it, it, it's a conversation that's, that's actually quite straightforward.
0: I, I generally find if you take the time, get them to understand, that's what really helps. And they generally accept what options are available to them. A bit of time on the other side is sometimes helpful. When you see a patient in in clinic, what have you found of men's main concerns about prostate symptoms and and prostate treatments? And are they able to bring them up comfortably all the time or do you have to sometimes sensitively bring that out?
1: What are men's fears around BPH surgery? Well, the the big fear is incontinence, absolutely. And and the second thing that they worry about is losing erections. And, you know, how, how do you have that conversation with a patient that might find it challenging. Well, I think always the best thing to do, and, and this is not specific to BPH, it's just generally, I think I think if you get that sense for a patient, then you have to take the conversation to them. Yeah. You have to say to them, okay, these are the after effects. We had an interesting meeting last week about survivorship at the RSM. And, you know, should we talk about complications of surgery or should we talk about after effects of surgery? Because actually... Not all after effects are complications. You know, it's just how it is. So you know, do we, we need to be taking that conversation to the patient to say, that these are this is what to expect afterwards, and this is how many men it's going to affect." I feel quite strongly that it's not their responsibility to tease the information out of us. It's for us to give them the information and for them to choose to receive it or not receive it. And and we've all had patients that will just say, "Doctor, I don't want to know." And it's for us to. To, to a the conversation and it's for the patient to, to dictate what they want to receive and what they don't. And we, as I'm sure you do, we give all our patients written information about the various treatment options so they have time again to go away and, and reflect.
0: How do you tackle the worries and doubts of BPH patients? And that can be in clinic on the day or, or even afterwards because these things always don't go, don't go perfectly. And sometimes, certainly my patients find it more difficult getting hold of us after than, than before. Do you have you got any strategies to take that on
1: well i think that's <clears throat> that's the big challenge of day case working isn't it yeah um, and short stay cases because you know patients that had you know traditional turp procedures would be in hospital for two days and every opportunity to ask you what yeah, the want outcome it. of their trial yeah pretty well. much And um, whereas so i think the challenge is that what what we've seen with these with the newer therapies the day case um yeah. short stay procedures is that we've we've taken an, an enormous pressure off our waiting lists because Procedures are quick. Um, they don't rely on inpatient beds, you know. So you can you can churn through many, many more cases, which is great. But of course, what you have to appreciate is that that what what you do do is create a pressure on a different part of your service. Yeah. So for us, it create it has created a big pressure in trial without catheter. So suddenly, an issue that we didn't know we had, and so we've had to look at smarter ways of working with our community partners um, to manage that. I think the other thing is, I know I've gone on about it a bit, but communication. If you have resumed water vapour therapy to your prostate, you may not see an improvement for three months. Yeah. And you say it and you say it and you keep saying it because otherwise you have a whole host of disappointed patients on the phone. And it can be something of a masked problem because we don't get the phone calls. You know, the admin team get them, the ward nurses get them, the urodynamic staff get them. And it they may know, also they're...
0: not being as familiar with the new procedure. No,
1: and they don't necessarily tell us. So so you can be forgiven for thinking that everything's going absolutely swimmingly when actually you're creating, you know, quite a bit of pressure on your system. We have. Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I counsel people? Well, I think the first important thing is what do they want their outcome to be? Yeah. You know, is the end point for them absolutely... Being able to pass urine without difficulty, no matter what the risk, is that their outcome? Is their outcome that they want to be better than they are, but they're not willing to accept some of the after effects of some of the other procedures? What is the situation clinically and what does the patient want? Because I think that's, that's important. I often talk to patients about minimally invasive procedures, and I don't include TURP when I say that they're starting to say i just want to be better than i am and do you know what if i have to have done again in a few years or if i have to have something else done in a few years fine as long as my know. life will be different then and i won't want the same things as i do now
0: yeah t- time may have moved on for them and as well as they're given that information and no no to expect a return of symptoms for example in five to ten years potentially, you know potentially, okay. potentially they know you yeah. know one other thing we were we were just going to talk about the load on the trial without our catheter service and things like that. How how have you been dealing with post treatment queries from patients? Because especially that's become more complicated with getting through COVID and telephone working and, and things. And we're and we're returning. How how have you found that? And has thing, have things changed recently with the new minimally invasive procedures?
1: So it, it has been difficult. Um, it has been difficult because we <clears throat> we have you know we had a very sort of well established pathway. And we've you know we've upended that, and and we've completely changed it. And honestly, I don't think we really thought through the impact it would have on the on the other areas of the service. What would where would I like to see us? I would like to honestly, I would like to see us having um, a dedicated BPH CNS. I think that would be for me that would be the gold standard for the service. Somebody that could, um, you know, perhaps do the flow race make that initial contact with the patients. Um, you know, be uh, be their point of contact. You know, because as you've alluded to earlier, it's so important for these patients to have a contact point and they go home. Yeah. Um so to ha- I think to have somebody that could see through their the continuity of their care right from the start to to organising their talk. and then, you know, we we see um patients that have had resumed water vapor therapy, we usually see them at three months. Yeah, you know, somebody that could do all of those things, I think it it would be really nice for the patient journey. That would be where I would like to see us.
0: So I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for for talking to me about
1: BPH today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Max. Water vapour therapy, PVP and enucleation are therapies intended to treat benign prostatic hyperplasia or BPH. The law restricts these devices to sale by or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings and instructions for use can be found in the product labeling supplied with each device. Products discussed for information purposes only and may not be approved or for sale in certain countries. This material is not intended for use in France. All rights reserved to Boston Scientific Corporation or its affiliates. These materials discussed are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every patient or case. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment. Boston Scientific, BSC, does not promote or encourage the use of its devices outside approved labeling.